So it's really good to see you guys. I want to thank y'all for being a part of our group tonight. And uh, it's always a privilege and a joy to come to Savannah Bible Mission and uh, and work with you fellas. Uh, I, I really do look forward to it each month. And so um, we're going to go ahead. we got a lot to cover tonight. So we're going to go ahead and open with a word of prayer and get started. Um, Father, thank you <clears throat> so much for the privilege and the joy of being able to come and, and break the bread of life together to, to share your word, to share your truth, to grow in a knowledge of that truth and a knowledge of your word. And I do pray for every uh, man and woman here in this room tonight that you will, as Paul uh, prayed to you, uh, will enlighten our eyes that we might know the, the beauty and the depth and the riches of your truth. Help us to receive it. Please help us to believe it. Um, give us the strength and the willingness to trust it and walk in it as well. And so, Lord, take these words, your words, plant them deep in our hearts so we might not sin against you. As we all claim your promise that your word never comes back void. So be with us tonight, Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So really quick, for those of you who have not been a part of our group, i got, I got to go quick tonight because every time I've, I've listened back on the other lessons, and what I do is I go over the last lesson and we never get to the new lesson. All right. So tonight, um, really quickly, um, we are going through some script. Uh, we are going through something known as a creedal statement. We're going through the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. And basically what it is, creed, the word creed means I believe. And a creedal statement is a list of statements about what we as Christians believe and all kind of different denominations and all kind of different churches have made these creeds over the years if you've ever said i believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and jesus christ and only son our lord right that's called the apostles creed and many churches say that still today and one of the things that creeds do is they help us to address heresy in the church and they help us to point us they kind of summarize what the scriptures say for us they're they are not scripture they're not god breathed they're not authorized in the same way that scripture are but any good creed will point us to the scriptures and so that's what you have in your hand it'll be a creedal statement followed by um, some bible verses to back up what it's saying so for tonight i would like to use if you'll turn with me to psalms 19 i want to use that psalm the second half of that psalm uh, as our basis for what we're going to talk about tonight psalm 19 um the the psalm 19 is a very beautiful psalm that talks about the natural revelation of god and then the specific revelation of god which comes through his word so god speaks to us through nature and the first part of that psalm verses one through six addresses that to us and tells us that god is speaking to us through nature but you can't know god through nature you can only know him through his word and so the the second part of the psalm shows us how god uh, speaks to us and this is what it says psalm 19 verses 7 through 14 the law of the lord is perfect restoring the soul the testimonies of the lord are sure making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandments of the lord are pure enlightening the eyes the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, even more than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Who can acquit me hidden from, uh, acquit me from my hidden faults? Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I will be acquitted of great transgressions. 
Then David prays this as he read the end of it. That y'all probably all heard this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So what David is praying is he's saying, God, let the things that I think about, the things that I feel, my emotions, my thoughts, and every part of me, let it be pleasing to you. Let my thoughts and my emotions and what I think about and what I say and what I do be pleasing to you. And so as he's gone through, he's shown us that God's word restores the soul. It brings it back to life. His testimonies make wise the simple. It gives us wisdom. The precepts of the Lord rejoice the heart, right? We uh, we live in a world where we think that happiness is found in this world, but the reality is happiness and peace and joy is found in God's promises alone. That's where we find our happiness. Um, the commandments of the Lord are pure. They light our eyes up, right? We live in the dark. They light our eyes up. The fear of the Lord is clean. The judgments of the Lord are true. Um, it, he tells me that his word warns me. It gives me warnings, and we'll talk about that a little later on. Um, and that it shows me my hidden faults. And not only does it show me my hidden fault, right? That's what the law does. The law shows us what's wrong with us. But the gospel tells us that God still loves us and will forgive us and save us if we'll simply turn from what's wrong and turn to who is right, right? We turn from what is wrong, which is us, and we turn to Him who is right. Nothing in the world wrong with the law. It's the perfect will of God. The only problem with the law is we're not able to keep it. And the Word shows us that. And we turn from the law and we find the gospel and in the gospel uh, we know his forgiveness and love so that's what they were saying it shows me my my presumptuous sins it gives me the power for them not to rule over me and he says it shows me that i will be acquitted of great transgressions and then of course he prays to the lord and asks god to let the, the his heart and let his thoughts and who he is be pleasing to him my god my rock and my Redeemer, right? The one thing I can count on, the one who has purchased me on that cross with His blood. And so we find out in the Psalms uh, that David is focusing on the Scriptures. Now we'll turn to that confession that we had, the London Baptist Confession of Faith. And we're looking at, um, we're going to go, and this is chapter 1. There's there's like 30 chapters in the in the Credo Statement. And it's taken us four weeks to go through one chapter. So most of you will be gone before we ever get through it all. But we're going to talk tonight in um, section paragraph 5. If you look at paragraph 5 and paragraph 6. And paragraph 7, 8, 9, and 10. All right, And we're going to go through them very quickly tonight because I have a brief little sermonette at the end of, the, of what we're going to read tonight that I want to share with you. So, in paragraph 5 of the confession, it says this, We may be moved and induced by the testimonies of the church of God to a high and reverent esteem of Holy Scriptures and the heaviness of the matter, the efficacy of the doctrine and the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, and many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of God." All right, so what is, the, what is the statement saying there? That the Word of God is able to bring us salvation. It's able to bring us the deep things of life. It's able to bring wisdom. It's able to bring all kind of good things to us. But then look how the paragraph ends. Yet, notwithstanding, 
our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth. What does it mean when something's infallible? It has no errors in it, right? uh, And the divine authority there is from the inward work of the what? Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. Now that's a very important statement because if you separate God's Word from the Holy Spirit, uh, right, you get a legalist. And if you separate the Spirit from the Word, then you get an antinomian, a wackadoo. You get somebody that's out in left field, you see? Now that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit of this age. And what happens is, is a lot of times in churches, people get caught up in the spirit and the word is not backing it up. You see? You, you know, Paul said, what did Paul say about speaking in tongues? He said, let it be one and let there be an interpreter, right? Yeah. And, and, and women keep silent in the church, right? Well, what happens? You go to a church service and everybody starts spattering in tongues all over the room. There's nobody interpreting it and they've lost control, you see? So what does that show you? It shows you that there's a spirit at work in that room. There's no doubt about that. But because it's not in accord with what the Word of God says, it's not from the Spirit of God. You see, the Spirit and the Word work together. That's what God has done for us. God has given us His Word as a guide and He has given us His Spirit so that we can know that Word and so that we can have the willingness and the power and the desire to follow His truth. So if you see someone who says that they have the Spirit of God, then what that means is they're going to walk and talk according to the Word of God. It's very important. And what the, that statement, that, that statement there in paragraph 5 is saying is, is that the Word and the Spirit of God work together. They never work apart. Okay? The Spirit of God uses the Word of God so that we may know God. And that's how it always works. So, uh, let's look at, uh, let's look at, uh, well, let's go to that John passage that it quotes for here. Let's go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Because again, these creedal statements are not inspired by God, are they? These are written by men, but they're written by men to address heresies and error in the church, but they always point us to Scripture. So what we want to do is we want to make sure that we see that the Scriptures back up what they said. So look at John 16. This is a part of the upper room discourse when Jesus was talking with His disciples just before He was to go to the cross. John 16, verses 13-14, it says this, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into what? All truth. Notice that. He didn't say all feelings and all experiences. That's not what He said. He said the Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on His own initiative. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose it to you. Take of Mine. What is of Mine? Of the Word of God. And He will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore I said that He takes of Mine and will disclose it to you. Uh, And so, what is He saying? He's saying that when He goes back up to heaven, He's going to send His Spirit, and His Spirit is going to be here so that we may know Him. Who's Him? The Father and the Son. The Father and the Son sent the Spirit so that we may know them. Father, Son, and Spirit are all God. 
And the Spirit works with the Word of God so that we may know the Son and the Father. And it always works like that. And it's always in harmony. And what he says is this. The Spirit will never speak of Himself. He always speaks of who? Me. Not, not me, the one talking to you. Jesus. You see? And so, when, uh, uh, so when, you, when you hear people say something, Boy, the Spirit was really in that room tonight. I could just feel it all over the place, right? Be careful of that kind of stuff, guys. The Spirit's going to point us to a word. The Spirit's going to point us to Christ and talk about Christ and lift Him up. Not lift up the experience we had tonight or lift up anything else but Christ Himself. The Word of God is God-centered. And it's not about me and you. It's about Him. That is so important for us to remember. Okay? So, uh, that's uh, paragraph 5. Now, paragraph 6, it says this. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Scriptures, unto which nothing at any time is to be what? Added. Whether by what? New revelation of the Spirit or the traditions of men. So what is it saying there? It is saying that the Scriptures are sufficient in themselves to give us everything we need. That's important. right? Be careful. I, I warn you all every time I come here, I mean this, and I say this in love. Be careful when people come up to you and say, hey, I got a word for you from God. Because what that person is claiming to do is they are putting words in God's mind. They're speaking for God. And that's a terrifying place to be. Because that's exactly what the devil did in the garden. See, God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to know the difference in good and evil and you're going to be just like God. What did he do? He put words in God's mouth. Yes, sir? So God doesn't speak through men? Yes. No, 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 no. I didn't say that. It's just talking about in particular New Revelation. So... God has appointed pastors, God has appointed teachers, God has appointed apostles, God has appointed evangelists. Like there are there are definitely roles and giftings given to men from God. So you believe in the fivefold ministry? Fivefold in what sense? What do you mean? The ones I just named, evangelists, pastors. Yes. Yeah. I don't believe I don't believe there there are no. I do not believe in any new apostles. No. I believe there were twelve apostles and the apostleship. Closed. After, one of the requirements of apostle was he had to see Christ. Did Paul see Christ? Yes. Yeah, he had a per, he he went off three years into the desert and had, and and was personally tutored by Christ. Yeah. In the spirit. In the spirit. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely true. No, I do not believe I do not believe that the gift of apostle is still one of the gifts of today. Yep. And that's something. Again, um, I'm standing on what the word says. You read the word, you determine what it says. Could you, could you give us a precept on where it says it's no longer? Well, because of that, one for one, that simple requirement that you had to have seen, been with Christ or seen Christ. And there's nobody today done that. Amen. All right, so again, um, I do not believe that. Uh, and it's the same way with a lot of the healing gifts too. That, I mean, if you notice, it, after the the Holy Spirit come, those sign gifts were given to the apostles so that they could be proved, their authority could be proven as they went around sharing the gospel with people. Right. Well, now that we have the scriptures, we have all the authority we need 
And so even you'll see things like like um, Paul telling Timothy to take a little bit of wine for his stomach's sake. Right? You remember that? So as the as the Holy Spirit comes down, you'll start in the book of Acts. As you get towards the end of the book of Acts, you'll see that the mentions of all of those spiritual gifts are starting to decline. Like they're not being mentioned as much because that's not the focus. The focus is not the Spirit. The focus is the Word. The focus is the message. And the Spirit is the one that brings that. So it's not now. I, again, hear me loud and clear. God still heals people today. No doubt. And miraculously, God heals people today, no doubt. But He doesn't do it on the command of people laying hands on people and and in that way. That's not the way He works. Yes. Um. So you're saying, like, as far as if this, like, a, I talked about it this morning. But if a man's arm in Africa, he he was ate up real bad with disease, like swollen up that bad. And someone said that they saw a video of of a pastor laying his hand on, on a man's arm and praying, and it went slap away in the snap of a finger. Do you believe that? Um, probably not. No. Yeah. Probably not. I um again, when Paul and the apostles were healing people, they always pointed people to Christ, and they always pointed people to the gospel. And unfortunately, most of this stuff we see going on around us today is pointing to the people healing. Right. And, right. and getting a crowd into a building and making sure that you give them some money. The focus is not on the gospel and the focus is not on... So what's happening is the focus is not on the gospel, the focus is not on Christ, the focus is on the healings. Yeah, you're right. I got you. Yes. And Paul says something on, I think it's in Corinthians, about the, uh, with, with the gifts and all that. And you'll be able to tell the difference between... Uh, you know what I'm saying, like it being just for show, you know, to right. bring money in, it because it, that person will always give the glory to God, not bring the glory on Yeah, yeah. So I, I would just, um, again, um, I, uh, again, I know in this room, I know in this room, in the group that I'm speaking to here, I know that y'all go to some churches that that are charismatic and that are not. I'm a cessationist. What that means is I believe that the spiritual sign gifts have ceased. I, I believe that. I believe that the scriptures validates that. But I do know that there's a lot of people in the world that still believe in those. And, and as a matter of fact, I got a friend of mine who, who claims to still believe in apostles. Like, as a matter of fact, his, his uh, mentor is, claims to be an apostle. And we, we butt heads about that. But, but um, again, you're going to have to settle in your heart and in your mind what the Word of God says. And, and you're going to give account to God for the way that you stand and what His Word says. And all of us will be judged by that Word. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to do. Yes? Uh, James 5.14 okay. speaks about divine healing. It speaks about healing. It talks about the elders in the church coming and putting oil on somebody and yes, praying sir. for them. If, yeah. any, if there's any sick among you, let him call the elders of the church. Yep. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Yep, and I believe that. And I, and as a matter of fact, I believe that a lot of our churches have gotten away from that in the same way that they've gotten away from church discipline. They don't do it like the Bible says. But when you see Benny Hinn throwing a jacket around and knocking people off the stage, he's not oil. There's no oil going on there, and there's no elders laying hands on people. You see, so it's not in accordance with the scriptures, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. No, I believe. Listen, I believe that if I got a, if if I'm an elder in a church and I have people in the hospital that are sick right now, you can't get to them. 
because they won't let you in the hospital. But I do believe that elders should go, and and I and I have nothing wrong in the world with putting oil on them either. And you go in and you pray. But what is it that's healing that person? It's the Spirit of God and it's the Holy Spirit. And it's the, the people Amen. doing it according to God's Word. Amen. That's why they're being healed. And, uh, but Christ also said, you would know my believers by these signs that they would heal. That's Mark, that's, the dead yeah, that's Mark 16. Out yeah, that's Mark 16. Yeah, yeah that's where he's talking about. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's look again at 6. Uh, I, I'm not trying to foo-foo like y'all's argument. I really do want to get through this tonight. Like we, we've, we've been dragging this along for a couple weeks and we need to get done with it. And I need about 10 minutes at the end to share what I want to share with you. So the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his glory, for man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly sat down or necessarily contained in the scriptures. All right, we've talked about that. So nothing is to be added, whether it be a new revelation of the spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God be, to be necessary for a saving understanding of such things that are revealed in His Word. So what is it saying? The Holy Spirit is necessary for me and you to be able to read the Word and understand and grasp the Word. Absolutely. And that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church common human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word which are to be observed. What is he saying by that? What is he saying? He's saying that our or our worship should be orderly and according to Scripture. And if the Spirit of God is at work in a worship service, it's because the people are doing it according to the Word and the Holy Spirit is honoring that, you see? But when you go into a service and people are, it's not according to the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is not going to have anything to do with it. Matter of fact, we will grieve Him. If we worship and our worship is not according to the Word of God, then we will grieve the Holy Spirit. It's very important to see that God has given us word for a reason. It's, it's bumper rails to keep us from going too far left or too far right. To getting too legalistic and pharisaical or getting too wackadoo. You see? It's according to the word of God. And that's what the Spirit does. He, he keeps us in line. And that's something that's very important for us to all to see. And so that's one of the reasons why I was telling you all last time we were together. I worry about... Pastors and teachers will stand up on a pulpit and say, oh, y'all don't have to worry about all that doctrine stuff. That, all, all the Pharisees worried about doctrine. You see, doctrine, the word doctrine means teachings. Amen. And what did Jesus do? He taught. Amen. You, you see? And so the Spirit of God does not work apart from the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be a, a Ph.D. in theology to appreciate and enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit and with our Father and, and with the Son. But if the Spirit is at work in you, He's going to give you a hunger for His Word and your desire is going to be to grow in it and to understand it and to want it more, to feed on it more and more. right? And so even if you're young in the faith, even if you've just trusted Christ, what does the Bible tell us? Uh, as, a, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the Word. Right? That you may grow thereby. All right, so um, we got that six out of the way. Let's look at seven. Um, let me find seven here. All right. All things in Scripture are not plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet 
those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and open in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned... Well, here we go. This is going right into what I was just saying. But the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means may attain a sufficient understanding of them. What does that mean? There's, here's a big fancy word. Here's a $9 word you can put in your back pocket. Perpescuity. Perpescuity. It means it's clear. It's crystal clear. The word of the God is uh, per, perpiscuous. That would be a man. That's a big fancy <laughs> word. Man, I feel even bigger now just saying that. Right? <laughs> a jokes aside, what what he's, he's trying to teach us right here is this: that you don't have to be a PhD or a rocket science to understand the plain things. I have a pastor friend of mine that says this all the time. Y'all may have heard somebody say this before. I, I'm not, and uh, I think it. I think it's Pastor Grant. I think it's Kenny from Calvary that says this all the time. But I don't know where he got it from. But it says this: the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. <laughs> Let's say that again. Yes, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. All right. Well, what does that mean? That means you can get you can sit down and try to dig in and get get your head all full of big words like per, perpiscuous or perpiscuity, right? And get your head all full up with ego. But the reality is you don't have to know all of those big fancy words in order to understand the scriptures. They've been given to us so that we can know them, so that we can know God. So why did God give them to us? So that we can know Him. And God is not going to give us anything that causes us to stumble or trip. Now, it's very important to see that last statement, though. Look what it says. It says, but the... uh, Unlearned in a due use of ordinary means may attain a sufficient understanding. What does that mean? Well, what are the ordinary means of grace? Um, reading the Word of God. So, if you want to learn it, you got to read it. Again, we just—I just started with a whole group of folks. We we read the Bible through every year together, and and I have a group of people that follow me every year. We all do it together every year, and every year when I started, I tell them fifteen percent of fifteen uh, percent of people that name themselves as Christian have actually read the Bible from cover to cover. Fifteen percent, right? So all of your friends that's coming up to you and telling you the Bible says this and the Bible says this, they probably never read it all the way through. And so you're taking somebody's word for it who's never read it all the way through. So what's important? You need to read it. You need to know it for yourself. Listen to your pastors and listen to your teachers, but read it for yourself. It's simple. Now, there's a lot of big fancy words in a lot of places you've never heard of, a lot of custom and culture that you've never seen before. But if you'll read it, you'll get it. All right? So read it yourself. So that's one of the means of grace that God has given us is His Word. It's a way for us to know Him. The means of grace are the things that God has given to us so that we might know Him and have a relationship with Him, you see? So what's another means of grace? The preaching of the Word. You asked me earlier, do I believe in the fivefold, whatever whatever it was you called it? The fivefolds of ministry. Right. I believe that pastors are authorized by God to stand in the pulpit and open the Word of God and share the Word of God with people. And it's one of the means that God has given us so that we can understand the Word. And it's very important. 
to go to church and sit with your kids and sit under a pastor and let them preach to you. And then the pastor's preaching to you and he's preaching to the kids too. And the kids are hearing what the pastor's telling daddy he needs to be doing. And daddy's hearing the preacher tell the kids what they need to be doing. And everybody's accountable to everybody else. And the, and the rest of your church family is hearing what you need to be doing and what they need to be doing. And it holds us all accountable together. And it's a way that we learn the scriptures through through the preaching of the Word. What's another thing we need to do? Anybody want to take a guess? Somebody? Pray. Pray. Very good. That's exactly right. Because what am I asking? I'm asking the Holy Spirit. We sung it tonight. Open the eyes. No, we didn't sing that one tonight. But open the eyes of my heart. We sing that all the time, right? Let's look at a passage of Scripture to back up what we're talking about right here. We used this last time we were together. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And look what Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 15 through 19. You ready? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. This is what he said. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all of the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayer. So watch what Paul's praying to the the church at Ephesus. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and a knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. So what is Paul praying for? That as we read the Word of God, that the Spirit of God will open our eyes and help us to know God more and more. And that's a prayer we need to be praying for everybody else in this room and for ourselves and for our families at home, right? That's what we need. We need the Word of God. Okay, so that finishes up number seven. Does that make sense? Everything, The main things are the plain things. The plain things are the main things. And if you use the means that God has given you to know Him, you can know Him. Those that seek Me will what? Surely find Me. Alright? So if He found you, and He did, and what you find in Him, He found you. Adam, where are you? Right? If He found you, then all you have to do is continue searching for Him and you'll find Him too. See how that works? Alright. Number eight. The Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of the people of God of old, and the New Testament in Greek, which at the time of the writings of it was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by His singular care and providence kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentic, so as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal to them. What does that mean? The church, where's the church supposed to go if we have an argument or a debate? To the Scriptures, right? Now what it's saying is that the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Not a lot of people understood Hebrew. But when the Greek came along... Uh, and the Romans came along and they were able to use that language to spread the gospel all over the known world at that time. Greek was a very important language. And so, what does it mean? It means that the, the pastors in the churches should be trained in the languages. They should know Greek and they should know Hebrew. Um, I do not know any Hebrew. I know Shalom. That means peace, right? And I know Sabbat. That means rest. Like I know a few uh, Hebrew words, but not very many at all. I've tried to read Greek. I, I, I've read the Bible six times through, and, and, or 
the New Testament six times through in Greek, and I still don't understand a lot of it. I can recognize the words, and I know what most of the words mean. And but the reality is, we should we should attempt to know it in the original language. Not everybody needs to do that, <laughs> right? That's not for everybody. My skill. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, the, the 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 truth of the matter is this. The, the, the truth of the matter is this. We have a hard enough time understanding King James English, much less in Greek or English. But what it's saying is, is that they were given to us originally in Greek. Now watch, what watch what happens now. Watch what it says next. Therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar language. Now, vulgar language doesn't mean it has an NR rating on it, right? Uh, that's not what it's talking about when vulgar. Vul- the word vulgar means the plain and common language of the time. All right, And of every nation into which they come, that the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship Him in an acceptable manner and through patience and comforts of the Scripture may have hope. So what does that mean? That God has raised up people that know the languages. They know the, the Hebrew and they know the Greek and they have giftings. And what do they do? They translate the Bible into... Uh, the common language. We have a group of people, the whole mission, um, what the Wycliffe Society, right? And what do they do? They go all around the world and they translate the Bible into the, the, their whole goal is to make sure that every language known to man has a copy of the scriptures in their hand. Now, there's, I think there's still like over 2,000 language groups that has, still doesn't have a Bible yet. But the Wycliffe people, that's what they do. And so what do they do? They send people off to college. They teach them Greek. They teach them Hebrew. And then they translate it from Greek and Hebrew into those people's language. Well, why do they do that? Well, y'all have heard the term lost in the translation, right? Well, the King James Bible that you have is translated from Hebrew and Greek. Then they use something called the Latin Vulgate for 1,400 years. What, what language was that written in? Latin. And then they took the Bible and translated it from Latin into English. All right, so what you got is you got Hebrew and Greek being translated into Latin, and then the Latin translated into English. All right? Well, you have a... You, you have three different translations there. So what are the chances that something might get lost in the translation? Very high. Right? Not, well, again, the King James Bible is an amazing Bible, and it's a very good Bible, and it's a very good translation. But the newer translations that have come out, the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, the NIV, all of these different translations that come out these days, they're not attempts to... to thwart God's word or, or to distort God's word or twist God's word what are, what are the desires of the NSB, the ESV, the King uh, the uh, all of these new translations the NLT, all, what is their translation exactly what this creedal statement is saying, so that it can be translated into the vulgar tongue of every nation this is my NASB right here that I have it's a 1995 NASB alright, yeah, right. well guess what um, every 25 years, they did one in 1977, and then they did another one in 1995. Well, guess what happened in 2020? I got a new 2020 NASB that's been, it's a new translation. It's, it's 2020. They didn't change a whole lot, but they changed some. But what is the point? To get it into common language so that people can understand it, all right? And there's nothing wrong with most of the translation. Some of the translations are really bad paraphrases. The message, stay away from the message. And I'm trying to think of what that other one. There's there's two of them that's really, really, really when you bad. You say the message. What does that mean? It's a it's a it's a it's a paraphrase of the Bible. And so. Do you like the New Living Translation? Yeah, I do like the New Living Translation. Yeah, I do. 
Yeah, I, um, I, I enjoy it. Um, I, I gave a copy of the New Living Translation one time to uh, my mom for Christmas, and she called me crying. She said, you know, I'm reading the Old Testament now, and I'm understanding seeing things that I'd never seen before with my King James Bible. And it's true, because what they do, they convert all of the measurements and stuff. Like, now I know that Goliath was nine foot, you know, six inches, not uh, five cubits or nine cubits or however tall they said he was. You know, I mean? like they translate it for me so that I can understand it better. And that's their whole goal, and that's the purpose of it. So, um, what is it saying? It's saying the church has been given the task of translating the Bible, and that's our responsibility to do that and it, to make sure that when we have arguments or dissension in the church that we go back to the original text to find our answers for it. You see? All right, number nine. We got two more to go, and then I need five minutes, so let's hurry. It says, the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is Scripture itself. And, therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, which is not manifold but one, it must be searched by other places that speak more clearly. Let's go to Acts 15, 15, and 16. I think you all will all be familiar with this passage. I'm sure that y'all have heard it before. Acts 15, verses 15 and 16. Are y'all there? 15 verse. These are the words of the prophets agree, just as it was written, after these things I will rebuild uh, the tabernacle of David, which is fallen. I will also rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that all the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. All right. So what is what is uh, the the apostle doing there? What is James doing? James is making judgment at something known as the Council of Jerusalem. And what is he doing? He turned into the Old Testament and using the Old Testament to interpret the fact that you know, Jesus is the son of David and that the, the death of Jesus on the cross, the burial resurrection of Jesus Christ, was the, a prophetic, it was prophetically foretold in the Old Testament that God would restore the kingdom of David, that he would restore the tabernacle of David, right? And so what is James doing? He's going to the Old Testament and using scriptures as a way to validate a ruling that they're making at the Council of Jerusalem. See how that works? So they are using the scriptures to interpret scriptures. That's what we're supposed to do. Why? Because the scriptures are God breathed, and if the Spirit of God breathed it out, then there's not going to be any kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? When it don't, huh? Discrepancy. Discrepancy. Yeah. Yeah. There's not going to be any discrepancies, and it's never going to contradict itself. Because if the Word of God was contradicting itself, it means the Holy Spirit didn't know what He was saying. So, do we have contradictions and discrepancies? Yes, between us and between our understandings of Scripture. Right? So, we have a discrepancy. You believe there are still apostles today. Alright? I don't. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to let the Scriptures interpret what we believe and let the Scriptures interpret Scripture. Alright? That's just the way it works. Alright? Last one and then we'll be... Then, then we got to quickly finish. The Supreme Judge by which all controversies of religion are be, to be determined, and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined, and in those in whose sentences we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Scripture delivered by the Spirit, into which Scripture so delivered, our faith is finally resolved. 
That's a big long statement. What did he say? Let the scriptures say what they say and trust them. And if you and I have a controversy or if, if any kind of council, uh, a church council comes up and makes a ruling and it's not in line with the scriptures, reject it. Amen. The scriptures interpret scripture. The scriptures are the final authority. The scriptures are what God has given us so that we might know Him. Okay? So, we've been for, for four weeks, we went over um, the first principle of the faith, and the first principle being what? The Holy Scripture. The first principle of faith is God's Word. That's what the wise man builds his house on, right? He builds it on the foundation and the truth of God. So, really quickly, we got five minutes left. Four minutes left. I want to share with you um, a little thing that I give to my kids out at the uh, at Coastal Harbor at, at the hospital to help them remember the importance of the Word of God. Number one, uh, turn with me really quickly to John chapter one. You don't have to turn there. John one verse one through five, and this is what it says. John one verses one through five. It says this: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Okay, John 1, 1-5. Now, in John 1, 14, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, what is the Word? The Word is God. And who is the Word? Jesus is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it said He was in the beginning with God and He was God. And all things were made through Him. So when you go back to Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, that sounds very familiar, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and without form. And there was a darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos, right? Or the waters. And what did it say? And God said, Let there be light. And God said, let there be a ferment. God said, let there be a day and night to rule the skies. And God said, let there be birds and fish and flowers and trees and birds and bees and all of that kind of thing. And God said, and God said, and God said. What was He doing? He was speaking. In, in uh, 126, what did He say? Uh, let us make man in our image. So it was the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son in their eternal counsel saying we're going to make man in our image. Every one of you in this room, that's what gives you your worth and your value in life is that you are an image bearer of God. That's what gives you your worth. Not your clothes, not how much you know, and nothing. You are an image bearer of God. Guard that with your life. Guard that image with your life. You are an image bearer of God. Guard that image with your life. Does that make sense? Alright, so really quickly, God said, God said, God said. What was He using? He was using words. Well, I want to give you five things to remember about God's Word. I call it 5G service, right? That's a new thing nowadays. 5G service. Number one, God's Word is a gift. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that whoever will believe on Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Number two, God's Word is a guide. That Word is a Lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Trust in the Lord in all your ways. Lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. God's Word guides us. So it's a gift and it's a guide. Number three, it's a guard. Right? You are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He is my faith and my faithfulness and my shield. His faithfulness is my shield, right? So what does God's Word do? It guards us. It protects us. What I mean by a guard dog or a guard dog, what does a guard dog do? They, they guard stuff. 
My dog growls at night when things come around in our yard. What's she doing? She's letting me know something's wrong. So if you have God's Word in you, what will God's Word do? It will warn you when things are out of sorts. Not only do guard dogs guard you in a sense that they'll bark when there's a stranger around, but they will also attack if they're a big dog, right? Well, you have the Creator of the universe and His promise on you. And God does not play around when people mess with His kids. Amen? So you have a guard. You have a guard. So it's a gift, a guide, a guard. Number four, it's a guarantee. Right? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word, the promise of God endures forever. If you have that promise, He's never going to break it. And last of all, it's grace. It's something we do not deserve. His promise, His Word is something we do not deserve. It's not something we can earn. Uh, it's not something that, that, uh, that we can just take for granted. It's there for anyone who will receive Him and believe Him. God's Word, is a, His promise is gracious. It's His grace. It's an expression of His grace. So, God's Word is a gift, a guide, a guard, a guarantee, and it's all of grace. Amen. Father, thank you for this time we had together tonight. Help us to take your word and hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Help us, as David prayed, uh, to let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Uh, Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.